0: Hello and welcome to this Thursday edition of Back to the Bible On the program today we continue our series The Power of the Gospel Studying Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through to 38 So let's begin as we listen to Bible teacher John Newfield In our study called The Security of the Believer
1: Robert Robinson is probably best known for his famous hymn entitled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, which he wrote in 1757. One of the verses in that hymn, in its original form, was the fourth verse, which says, O to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter or a chain bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. You know, the fetter that Robinson wanted to bind his wandering heart to God was his reference to the golden chain in Romans eight twenty-nine to 30 which included foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. He was trying to say that in his experience, he found a disturbing trend in his heart that was so easily led astray, but he wanted God's fetter to tie him to Christ. Now, I mention this because there's an unverified story about his life in which it was told that he was riding in a stagecoach, and a woman in that coach was humming that famous hymn. She then asked Robinson whether he had ever heard that hymn, and if he had what he thought about it. And this story, if it is to be believed, had him saying, Madame, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I could enjoy that feeling I had then. There are accounts that tell of Robinson becoming a close friend of a man named Joseph Priestley, who was in his day a very famous Unitarian, a man who denied the Trinity and a number of other Christian doctrines. Some argue that Robinson did become a Unitarian before he died, but others argue, very close to the day of his death, he had preached a sermon in which he said, Christ is himself a person infinitely lovely, as he is both man and God. And so the debate about Robinson's state at the end of his life has never, at least to my knowledge, been fully resolved. And this from the man who wrote, Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And that brings us to the question we started to address yesterday. If I notice that my heart is prone to wander, can I be assured that God will have a fetter or a chain that will bind my heart to him and simply refuse me the power to wander? Or as Paul asked the question in Romans 8.35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he mentions the possibilities, tribulation, distress, persecution, and so forth. From that reading of things, we can see that Paul is not asking if it is possible for Christ to stop loving us. He's asking if it is possible for us to stop loving Christ. Because the distresses in life and the cost of following Him may seem to us Too great a price to pay. Can I be assured that when the death dew lies cold upon my brow, I will know with certainty that I will say, If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. You know, I came to Christ when I was 18, and I was not a good man. I was an undisciplined, crass, boastful fool, a young man who was prone to start a hundred projects and complete none of them. But Christ found me in my sin. He opened my heart to Himself and I instantly loved Him. But I was a new believer and I was struggling with assurance of my salvation. Did God really love me or was I simply fooling myself? And more perplexingly, would I be faithful for my whole life long or would I fall away? Would I make it to heaven? Would I really be there? There was a dear and faithful pastor who, who led me to Christ, who also taught me the faith. And I am eternally grateful to him, and I'm always going to honor him. But there was one matter about which, unknown to him, he caused me no end of grief. He told me that nothing can snatch me out of God's hand, and that was good. But then he said that God's hand that held me was an open hand. And even though nothing could take me away from God, I could, at any moment, choose to leave God's hand. And I was deeply disturbed by this. I never doubted that God could save me from evil. That wasn't even an issue with me. But those words frightened me more than he will ever know. But I never shared them with him. Deep within, I knew that I was prone to wander. Who was to say that I, in a, in a moment of madness, was not foolish enough to leave his loving hand? Now, I mention all of this because I don't think I'm the only one who is plagued with this kind of thinking. So let's read our text, Romans 835 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now, we have noticed that the opening question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, followed by the list of hardships that come from following Christ, makes us ask if we might give up on Christ. Is it possible that I might encounter something and, because of it, walk away from Christ? Now, before we seek the answer to our question, let's make sure that we understand this passage from the perspective of those receiving the letter. The likelihood of first century Christians living in Rome, facing tribulation, distress or persecution, this was indeed a real possibility. Now, please remember that this book was written by Paul, probably while he was in Corinth, about the year 57. Three years later, in the year 60, Paul himself would arrive in Rome for the first time but he was come as a prisoner because it was feared that the gospel of Jesus was in some fashion seditious to the Roman Empire. Also remember that sometime prior to 57, the Roman Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome only to allow them to return again, and so a great many Christians already felt like they were walking on eggshells when it came to the Roman authorities. And then about seven years after this letter was written, the Roman emperor Nero would burn a section of Rome and blame it on Christians, setting off a bloody persecution. The storm clouds of potential persecution were in the air when Paul wrote this letter, and therefore, a natural question Christians might have asked themselves was this. If things get really tough in the future, will I have the courage to face the dangers ahead and keep a clear zeal for Christ? Now, in order to emphasize that danger, Paul quotes from Psalm 44, a psalm of one of the sons of Korah. In this psalm, the the son of Korah reminds Israel of times when their armies were defeated in battle. And in verse 22, he says, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul quotes this verse and says, Just like Israel's enemies who wanted to slaughter them like sheep, so also, in our experience, Roman Christians, living in the shadow of Roman imperial might, experience the same thing. And given this reality, how then will Christians fare? Will they give up on their faith, or will they be true to Christ unto death? Now remember what's at stake. Jesus himself said, that if anyone would not be willing to take up his cross and follow him unto death, he or she is not worthy of him. And so it was to be seen if these Roman Christians were worthy of Jesus. In order to help them answer this question, Paul makes a declarative statement in verse 37. No, in all these things, which must mean in all these persecutions, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Please notice that phrase, not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. So whatever Paul means by the phrase, more than conquerors, he must mean something more than that they will go through persecution and still love Jesus on the other side. There must be more than that, but what more can possibly be in his mind? I think the answer to this must rest in the context of the passage that we have just read. Remember Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. Surely Paul wants his readers not to forget those words. I think Paul knew that they were more than conquerors because he knew that not only would they go through the fires of persecution and not deny Christ, but the very persecution that came against them would be used by God for their long-term eternal good. God would never allow the Christians in Rome to feel the stress of the displeasure of Rome were it not for his intention to use this very thing as a tool to maximize his glory and to maximize as well the long-term eternal joy and happiness of the Roman believers. See, and when we come back, we're going to see how this assurance that we are not just conquerors, but more than conquerors, relates to us who hope in Christ in our day as well.
0: This is Back to the Bible, Bible teaching you can trust. For years, Bible teachers here on Back to the Bible have all worked hard to be more than just inspirational. They want to be transformational. This is because we are very aware of the fact that if a person spends only 1% of their waking hours engaged in God's word on a daily basis, it can transform 100% of their lives. So you ask, what is 1%? Well, If someone is awake for 16 hours a day, 960 minutes, 1% of that time is 9.6 minutes. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it shows the power of God's word and his transforming work. Research shows that by spending quality time in God's word every day, a Christ follower has a much more active faith in fact, they are 228% more likely to share their faith with others and 231% more likely to disciple others. With the thousands of listeners that tune into our radio program on a daily basis, along with the just over 300 downloads per day of the podcast version of our Bible Study program, And not to mention the level of daily Bible engagement that takes place via our free mobile app. Your continued support is essential to sustain the transformational content provided each and every day as we help individuals to engage God's word and to grow in their faith. We so appreciate your continued prayerful support. Now as we get back to the Bible... Let's rejoin Bible teacher John Newfeld as he explains how we are also more than conquerors in the hardships that we
1: face each day. I have argued that the phrase more than conquerors means that not only will believers go through any hardships and still love Christ but that Christ will use those very hardships that threaten to undo us to strengthen and protect and maximize our effectiveness and eternal joy. We don't just conquer the difficulties. The difficulties we face are used by God to perfect us in a way that nothing else can. Not just conquering, more than conquering. Having given these promises, Paul now gives ten things that we will encounter in life that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Let's consider each one of them. First, death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. That's not surprising. For Paul, this is the bedrock of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, he reminded the Corinthians of the most basic element of the gospel he preached. Christ died for us, and Christ was raised for us. Death has lost its sting, and Christ will not release those who are joined to him. We will bodily die, but just as Christ was raised bodily from the dead, so will all who are in Christ be raised with him. Nothing is more foundational to the gospel than that. If death could separate us, well, we'd have no gospel at all. Second, life can't separate us from the love of Christ. You know, there are those of us who need to hear this more than the fact that death can't separate us. See, life is filled with temptations and distractions and unexpected events and boredom and passions that consume us and wealth that ensnares us and opportunities that call to us and heartaches that discourage us and fascinations that interrupt our ongoing zeal for Christ. But Paul is convinced that nothing in life can separate us. Indeed, we will be more than conquerors in life. Third, angels can't separate us. I think it unlikely that Paul has good angels in mind, rather the evil angels, the demonic realm that stands opposed to the people of God. Here we might think of some of the fears that Christians might entertain about the demonic realm. But they cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Fourth, rulers can't separate us. You know, the rulers might refer to the political rulers in Rome, in which governors and the power of law might be used against the infant church. But I think this is not what Paul has in mind. We notice that there is a kind of pairing that's going on here. Life and death, and then angels and rulers. You see, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, there's the word, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. You know, From Paul's perspective, culture and politics are greatly influenced by the demonic. Satan and demons not only attack individual believers, but they reserve their best work in subverting the governance of nations. And so Rome, with all its magnificence and its abilities to build and create order in a chaotic world, would always have a dark side to it. This included the worship of idols, or the games in which human beings were murdered for sport, or the cruelty of slavery, and a worldview which denied the one true Creator God. Satan and demons were always subverting the kingdoms of men in order to disrupt, and distort, and subvert the lives of its citizens. Satan wants to ensure that nations are so arranged that people will not find their way to God. See, our culture is no different. In spite of the many good and laudable things that we enjoy in our country today, which must include the spectacular array of rights and freedoms in our country, yet still, our hatred of the unborn, our sexually subversive morality, our mindless entertainment-based culture which militates against serious thought, our insipid idolatry upon which so much of our culture is based, all of this is profoundly demonic. And this demonic culture is corrosive to true faith. And yet, says Paul, I am convinced that even such a great demonic enterprise will not separate us from the love of Christ. Now the fifth element, the things present cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Now in some ways, Paul is simply heaping up phrases here. The things present are all the things that make up our present time, along with the individual experiences that we have today. Whatever you go through today will not be so large and unbearable that it will separate you from Christ. And then sixth, things to come or the future. Because we do not know the future, the future can fill us with hope or uncertainty, even dread. And there is something about the gospel that makes every true believer extremely confident in the future. Because all the promises of God are future promises, and because all the promises of God are guaranteed in the cross, Christians must know that our very best days are not behind us, but are indeed ahead of us. We know that the future not only cannot separate us from the love of God, but that the future promises us that our great inheritance lies before us. Now, seventh, powers cannot separate us. Here Paul might be referring to anything at all that seems to have power or authority over the life of believers, and that might include not only political power, but the power of nature, and the power of disease, and the power of anything. And then eighth, height cannot separate us from the love of God. Now Paul's not referring to physical elevation, but on that note, a bit of a personal testimony. You know, I've done my fair share of hiking, and I can tell you I have an irrational fear of heights. I've been able to conquer it, to the most part, by learning not to look down, and by concentrating on what's right in front of me, and also by quoting scripture. So when I'm hiking in uncomfortable high places, I'll be quoting verses like Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And by the way, constantly quoting that has helped me. But here heights, I think, simply refers to the things above the earth, the heavens, or as we might put it, the universe. I might say, no asteroid need concern me. And then ninth, if heights refers to the universe, depths must refer to anything on this earth, which might refer to natural disasters and hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and drought. And then finally, tenth, this is Paul's catch-all group, not anything else in all creation. Please notice that there are two groupings of things, the uncreated and the created. Only God is in the uncreated group. All else that exists is in the created group. And here's a little secret. Even my own will with all its foibles and my own emotions with all its subtle influences, this also is in the created group. The created grouping of things has nothing in them that can separate us from Christ. But you might say, but can't I take myself from the love of Christ? Well, that depends, doesn't it? Are you in the uncreated grouping? Since the answer to that question is no, then it must mean that you can't take yourself from the love of Christ. And that brings us back to where we started. But aren't there examples of people in the love of God who were separated from their affections for Christ, well, according to Romans 8, the answer is no. But how do we explain those who have fallen away? I know that there are variant explanations given for this, but without going into all of them, I have noticed that there are two ways of looking at our security in Christ. The first is to examine ourselves in our own weaknesses and our temptations and our struggles and failures and the tendencies we still find in ourselves, and here we might find ourselves alarmed. See, the other is to look at Christ and what He has accomplished and what He has promised. If you want assurance, become accustomed to looking at Christ rather than looking at yourself. And when I look at myself and at my tendency to sin, I'm not confident at all. And should I think that God holds me in an open hand and that I can at any time wander from Him, all confidence is gone. But Leon Morris has said it very well. He said it is one of the precious things about the Christian faith that our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious truth.
0: Amen. Dr. John, thanks for grappling with this message. It's a tough one, but an important one. But what would we say of our friend and his family falling away? What does that mean?
1: Yeah, I know it's very difficult for me to actually speak about this because it feels still, after all these years, so personal to me. Um, and, and there are two ways of looking at it. I mean, one way of looking at it would say that he never knew Christ in the first place; that that change in the heart would never been wrought, which is really, what I think, what I'd say. Uh, the other way would be to say, you know, well, um, you know, he knew Christ, but he but he fell away, which is what other people would say. But, but I think I would respond first of all by saying. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left over. You can't sin with impunity and claim to be God's child. I think we can say that. And so we've all known individuals who have sinned with impunity and have walked away from Christ. No sacrifice can be called in service on their behalf. Only the the repentant heart... Confesses Jesus as Christ as Lord and walks in in accordance with Him. But the next thing is, when we look at the promises of God for ourselves, and not at ourselves, but at Christ, we should take heart that Christ is able to keep those whom He has bought for Himself, and that we do want to say.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Here on back to the Bible. Brought to you by Back to the Bible Broadcast Jamaica in partnership with listeners who give in support of this ministry. Our office is located at shop number twenty two, Hagley Park Plaza, Kingston Ten. Our office hours are from Mondays through to Fridays from eight thirty AM through to four PM. We can be contacted via email at Back to the Bible Ministry at gmail.com Our office number is 876-926-5765 And our cell and WhatsApp number is 876-337-6295 To listen to this study again or some of our previous studies they are available in our free mobile app along with other Bible engagement material. Just look for BTTB Jamaica in your app store. That's BTTB Jamaica. You can also listen from other podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Be sure to look for Back to the Bible Jamaica. And before we go, we have in stock the 2024 edition of Our Daily Bread, available from our office here at Back to the Bible for $500 each. Debit and credit cards are accepted. As we come to the close of today's study, whatever we are going through today in our walk with God, let us rest in the fact that because of God's grace, He will never allow us to abandon our faith. Again, a great and important reminder of the eternal security that is available for every follower of Christ. Absolutely nothing in this world can separate us from God's love. We hope and pray that this study has given you a renewed hope and that in response each of us will continue to trust in his ability to keep us from stumbling. Well, please don't miss our final message tomorrow, concluding our series, The Power of the Gospel, as Bible teacher John Newfeld wraps up what we've learned from Romans chapter 5 through to chapter 8. That's tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Jamaica, seeking to bring you closer to Jesus today than you were Yesterday.